What did your ancestors have to protect from? Bugs, parasites, viruses, mold, fungus, and bacteria. That was it. So in today's world, when your body is exposed to something that's deemed a threat, it's going to respond as a bug, parasite, virus, mold, fungus, or bacteria. That is the only defense mechanism we have. And when you realize that, then you start realizing that the amount of toxic chemicals we're being exposed to, like never before in history, is the primary culprit in the increase in autoimmune diseases. Welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio, a podcast sharing stories and wisdom from experts in the field of holistic wellness and sustainable living. I am your host, Todd Howard, coming to you from Ravenhill Herb Farm, a permaculture design campus of Pacific Rim College in Victoria, British Columbia. As the show's guests demonstrate, by doing small acts to embrace more mindful living, we can positively impact our communities. Dr. Tom O'Brien is a recognized world expert on health and wellness. And as he demonstrates in this episode, a powerhouse of knowledge in topics such as autoimmunity, the toll of environmental toxins on humans, gluten and its impacts on health, and optimal brain function. Dr. Tom is the creator of the groundbreaking documentary series, Betrayal, the autoimmune disease solution they're not telling you that has been viewed by more than half a million people. In 2016, Dr. Tom published his award-winning book, The Autoimmune Fix, and then followed that with another incredible book, You Can Fix Your Brain. Interviewing Dr. Tom is a bit like letting a genie out of a bottle, in the most positive way. He speaks concisely and thoroughly about many incomparable topics in healthcare, and with the information he readily provides, listeners get much more than the equivalent of three granted wishes. Listening to or reading Dr. Tom's words can literally change your life, if not save it. In this episode, we talk at length about plastics and their impact on health, what you can do to help your brain to function more optimally, and things about autoimmunity that you probably have never before heard. Stay tuned to the end of this interview for a special gift from Dr. Tom to listeners. Get ready for this fast-paced, nutrient-dense episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Dr. Tom O'Brien. Dr. Tom, welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Oh, it's an honor to have you here. As we were just discussing, you've been to our campus once in Victoria. I thought it was a number of years ago. And I don't know if you and I have ever met personally, but uh, I'm certainly a fan of the work that you do and really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Oh, thank you. You know, I think that um, uh, this audience is one that's just a thrill for me to um, um, share ideas with because uh, most of what I do is not a didactic download, but more a expansion of vision that I try to open doors for people. So I'm, I'm really not going to talk about unless you ask me, you know, what's the better form of vitamin D to take or, or uh, why is CoQ10 good, but rather what's, what's the bigger pictures from which your explorations can fill in the blanks uh, with specifics. And there, there, is such a need for paradigm shift in our health culture today 
and uh, in some ways I'm speaking to the choir, but even within the audience of holistic healthcare practitioners, um, uh, expansion of vision is most of us, you know, and there's a lot of didactic information we have to absorb. And early in your education, you know, that's, you know, you've got to regurgitate this data and pass the exams and stuff. But when you're out in practice, it's really a time to be looking always a bigger picture. My um, first mentor officially was George Goodhart, Dr. George Goodhart, the founder of Applied Kinesiology. And he would always drill into us, always, why is this happening to this person? Why? And he would say, look with eyes that see, listen with ears that hear. You know, and I was a late 20-something, early 30-something guy listening to Dr. Goodhart. I'm saying, yeah, 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 whatever. You know, I'm not quite sure what he means by that, but okay, uh, look with eyes that see. Okay, now wait, was it see with eyes that look or look? Yeah, I didn't quite get it. Now I get it. You know, we all have blinders on. We see through blinders of our own belief systems. And when you take the belief system out of there, uh, uh, as much as possible, when we remove the blinders, sometimes we see things we never would have seen before that was right in front of us. And I think that's what Dr. Goodhart was referring to when he would say things like that. How did this journey begin for you? This journey into, um, well, actually, let me back up and so people understand the journey that you have been on. What would you say is your elevator pitch to someone who says, Dr. Tom, what do you do? <laughs> um, that's good. Uh, I don't think I've developed that specific elevator pitch. Uh, what I'll say is that, well, I'm on the faculty and travel the uh, faculty of the Institute for Functional Medicine, and I travel the world teaching doctors how to see a bigger picture. And my specific area of expertise is the gut. Uh, but really, it's a bigger picture of where does dis-ease come from? And people kind of tilt their head a little bit and said, well, what do you mean? And then I'll give them an example or two. You know, for example, I'll say that I'll, I'll give them a study or something that drops their jaw. Uh, four years ago, a paper came out, 346 pregnant women in Chicago they measured the urine in the eighth month of pregnancy for five phthalates. Phthalates are chemicals used to mold plastics. And uh, everybody has phthalates in their body. It's just part of our environment now. But they measured these levels and they uh, categorized the results into fourths, the lowest fourth, the next, the third, and the highest fourth or quartiles. They then followed these pregnant women through the birth and they followed the children, the offspring, for seven years. And when the child turned seven years old, they did Wexler IQ tests on them, on all of them. And there's not much in medicine that's all or every, but this was every, every child whose mother was in the highest quartile of phthalates in pregnancy compared to the children whose mothers were in the lowest quartile of phthalates in urine in pregnancy. Every child in the highest quartile, their IQ was seven points lower. Seven, 6.7 wow. 7 to 7.4 points lower. 
And that doesn't mean anything to anybody until you understand that a one point difference in IQ is noticeable. A seven point difference is a difference between a kid working really hard, getting straight A's in school, and a kid working really hard, getting straight C's in school, working really hard. This kid doesn't have a chance in hell of ever doing well in school because their brain never developed properly. And then you just go to Google and type in phthalates and neurogenesis, nerve growth. Here are all the studies on phthalate exposures inhibit nerve uh, neurogenesis, nerve growth, and cellular regeneration. So, and people just kind of, it's, it's like their brains just went tilt, 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 what, what? Mm. And then when I say, you know, when you learn that you apply nail polish and the, the phthalates and nail polish are in your bloodstream in five minutes, but there's no evidence that the amount of phthalates that leach into your bloodstream from nail polish is toxic to humans. And <laughs> that's how the chemical companies get away with this stuff is that these minute amounts of exposures that we're getting every day, there is no or very little evidence that it's a threat to the human body. However, this stuff is accumulative in the body and it accumulates. Now give me a woman who started doing nail polish when she was five years old and now she's 25 or 30 and married and pregnant and hopefully having a healthy pregnancy. But if her body has accumulated high levels of phthalates, whether it's because of poor detoxing or increased exposures over a lifetime, now her baby doesn't have a chance in hell if she's in the highest quartile. So excuse me for being so blunt, but women are walking cesspools today, toxic cesspools of chemicals that have been accumulating in their bodies for their lifetime. And never before in history have we been exposed to these types of levels of chemicals. No human, uh, no species has ever been exposed to these. We know that in the animal kingdom, there's a 57% reduction in populations across the planet. 57% reduction in populations of polar bears, of wolverines, of beavers, of birds. The average is 57% in the last 30 years. We've lost over half of the populations of the, uh, all animal species, all of them because of the amount of chemicals that they're being exposed to and they can't repopulate uh, and they get cancer you know, and they die. And when you look at, uh, there was a meta-analysis uh, between 1974 and 2011 of sperm counts in healthy men, not infertile men, healthy men. And not coincidentally, in 37 years, there was a 59% reduction in sperm count in healthy men. In 37 years, and a meta-analysis of many studies, and you know, that doesn't mean anything to anyone until you understand that scientists worry about extinction of a species at 72% reduction in sperm count. And in 2011, we were at 59% reduction. I just haven't seen a more current meta-analysis of, of where we're at now. And you start to understand that these people the species today, the human species, has no defense mechanisms. There is no adaptive 
defense mechanisms that have developed over tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of years for the amount of chemicals we're being exposed to, which exponentially are going up every year. Uh, Pediatrics published a paper, um, and it it was arguably the number one health journal for children in the English language. And this was a policy statement in pediatrics. What that means is it's not an author who scored and got to publish in pediatrics. This was a policy statement from the board of the American Academy of Pediatrics. And so that's, that's a critically important message. And what they said was that the Toxic Substance Control Act of 1976, which is still the regulating federal guidelines for introduction of chemicals into our environment, failed miserably to protect our children, and then in parentheses, and adults, meaning it failed to protect humans. Why? Because the lobbyists were extremely successful in paying off the senators and the representatives to pass legislation that has no teeth. In 40 years, almost 40 years, the, 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 this TSCA, the Toxic Substance Control Act, has only restricted five chemicals or classes of chemicals in 40 years because they got these regulations that are so cumbersome. You have to prove that the amount of phthalate that you get from nail polish or the amount of phthalate that you get from storing your leftover chicken from dinner in a plastic storage container in the refrigerator overnight and phthalates leach into the food within the next day, or the amount of phthalates from your coffee cup, when you get a coffee to go and the steam from the coffee condenses on the underside of the lid and that, that condensed steam drips back into the coffee full of bisphenol A, and you put that coffee cup up to your lips and the hot liquid hits the underside of the lid, tapers down into the opening full of bisphenol A, you have to prove that that amount of bisphenol A is toxic to humans. And it's not. There's no evidence of that. And there's no evidence that the amount of bisphenol A that leaches out of coffee lids is toxic to humans. That's how they get away with this. But this stuff is accumulative over a lifetime. Why do you think Autism is exponentially going through the roof. It is not vaccinations. Please, all of our students and young practitioners, don't ever say vaccines cause autism. You sound like a nutcase, because if that were true, every child would get autism from vaccines, every child. But it's extremely accurate to say vaccines may take the child over the edge of tolerance and activate an immune response and a neurological response, and here comes autism. There's lots of studies on that, many. So it may be the last straw or the straw that broke the camel's back for that child's brain and nervous system function. That's valid, but it's not the vaccine. It's the environment that that vaccine is introduced into the body, meaning the environment inside that child's body and how the environment of mom when she was pregnant with that child, because every generation of moms are more toxic. And so the result is these babies are developing in utero. They're more compromised and more compromised. And then uh, these children are born into the world and exposed to more toxins and their detox pathways may be compromised. And 
So I guess that's my elevator speech. <laughs> that's a long <laughs> elevator ride. <laughs> that is, that is. And I actually take them for a ride because they're always with me afterwards. You know, they, wow. Wow. So what do I do is usually the next question. What do I do? And the answer is, you understand that this is overwhelming, completely overwhelming. When you actually start to get the big picture of what's going on for our bodies living on this planet, and when you understand the bigger picture, it's overwhelming. And you have to be okay and able to deal with the overwhelm as opposed to throwing the baby out with the bathwater and forgetting about all of it, right? So how do you do that? Well, in my most recent book, it's entitled, You Can Fix Your Brain. And the subtitle on the cover is just one hour a week to the best memory, productivity, and sleep you've ever had. And it's not a cutesy subtitle. It actually is the only way that I have seen time and time again for patients and clients to be successful in changing the paradigm of how they live their life. Now, this is not you have to re reduce your gluten content or reduce your dairy content. People need a paradigm shift in how they take care of the body. And the only way I know of to create a paradigm shift is one hour a week. Mrs. Patient, every Tuesday night after dinner, every Sunday after services, whenever it is, but every week, you're gonna allocate one hour. You're gonna tell your family not to bother you because you're spending one hour to learn a little bit more. You're gonna listen to this radio interview again or other radio interviews. You're gonna read a book. You're gonna, whatever the topic is, but every week, one hour, you're gonna learn more about phthalate exposures. And then you're gonna learn that plastic blinds on your windows are outgassing phthalates into the air. You say, well, I don't smell it. No, you don't smell it, but you suck it in. You breathe it every day, 24 seven, when you're in the house. You ever see the sun rays coming through the light of the window, and sometimes you can see the dust in the air, that's what you're breathing. And that dust is phthalates and uh, perchloroethylenes and toluenes and benzenes from the press board cabinets in your kitchen and bedroom and bathroom and the varnish on the floor and the scotch guard on the sofa and the flame retardant chemicals in your sheets and blankets and your sleeping gear. That's what you're breathing in the air. Indoor air pollution is much worse than outdoor air pollution in most areas of the country. And when you start to understand these concepts, Mrs. Patient, it may be that you need to target and save some money, but you're saving your money to get an air filtration system in your house so that your kids are breathing good air at home, you know, whatever it should be. But you have to understand it's overwhelming and so you can only allocate an hour a week and be patient and kind with yourself. For example, when you go to my book and you look up glass storage containers, and there's three URLs in the book, Miles Kimball and Amazon, and I don't remember what the third one is, and you go online and you look at these, oh, those are nice, and oh, I like those, and you order three round ones and four square ones and one for the pies, and you pay with your credit card, and you hit send, you're done for the week. That took an hour, but you're done for the week. But never again will you poison your family with minute amount of poisons from using plastic storage containers in the kitchen. Give those containers to your husband to store nails in the garage. You know, they're great for that. 
uh, but keep food away from them. And then next week, you're gonna deal with the nail polish and you'll find organic uh, uh, cosmetic companies and you'll order some and you'll try it. And then next week, you're gonna learn about cotton sheets and that are not soaked in flame retardant chemicals. And the next, and every week, and in six months, you've changed your life. You've reduced the amount of toxic exposure your family is getting substantially. And in the meantime, you've been working on your food selections and all that, and you just feel different and you look different, but that's the only way to be successful. Everyone is being marketed to with the messaging, take this and you'll be better, or take that and you'll be better. Whether it's a pharmaceutical or a nutraceutical or a diet, you know, take this and you'll be better. Your symptoms will go away. So we're all looking for the magic bullet cure. And what we have to have is a paradigm shift that we think differently about supporting our body function. Yes, of course, food selections are critically important. And for some people, a keto diet's the best thing in the world they could do. Or for some, a paleo diet's the best thing in the world they could do. Or for some, a Mediterranean diet's the best thing in the world they could do. It depends on the individual, but it's not complete in itself that we all have to be aware that never before in history have humans been exposed to the amount of toxic chemicals we currently are being exposed to and that we have no defense mechanisms internally to deal with this. One last point and then I'll pause. Mrs. Patient, your immune system is exactly the same as your ancestors thousands of years ago. You have the same body. Your kidneys work the same, your gallbladder works the same, the immune system works the same. It hasn't genetically changed, it's the same. And what did your ancestors have to protect from? Bugs, parasites, viruses, mold, fungus, and bacteria. That was it. There was no toluene. There was no benzene that you're smelling every time you pump gas that kills brain cells when you're smelling it. There was none of that stuff. Bugs, parasites, viruses, mold, fungus, and bacteria. So in today's world, when your body is exposed to something that's deemed a threat, it's going to respond as a bug, parasite, virus, mold, fungus, or bacteria. That's all it can do. And we call that inflammation, activation of toll-like receptors to deal with bacteria and parasites, harmful microorganisms. But that is the only defense mechanism we have. We don't have any other defense mechanisms. And when you realize that, then you start realizing that the amount of toxic chemicals we're being exposed to, like never before in history, is a, the primary culprit in the increase in autoimmune diseases, the increase in brain dysfunction. Blue Cross, Blue Shield, the largest healthcare organization in the United States, a multi-billion dollar organization, just came out with a document uh, earlier this year called Early Onset Dementia and Alzheimer's Rates Grow for Younger Americans. And they tell us that between the ages of 30 to 60, 64, there's been over a 200% increase in the number of people getting all being diagnosed with Alzheimer's and dementia in four years. From 2013 to 2017, there's a 200% increase 
in people being diagnosed with dementia between the ages of 30 and 64. And they broke it down by decades. So between 30 and 44, it's a 407% increase in diagnosis of dementia in 30-somethings. And from 45 to 54, it's a 242% increase. And from 55 to 64, it's a 90% increase in four years. This is like, what? What? In four years, because we're crossing the threshold of tolerance. And I say this all the time, the brain is the canary in the coal mine. And what happens with a canary in the coal mine is that um, uh, coal miners used to take canaries in a bird cage down into the coal mines in the 1800s. Uh, I think in the early 1900s also, but certainly in the 1800s. And the bird would be singing down in the tunnels and all that. But canaries were much more sensitive to methane and carbon monoxide. And coal miners can't smell that. They can't smell it, but it'll kill them. People just fall over, you know, and it killed them. Well, canaries are extremely sensitive to it. And if the bird stops singing, someone went over to look at the bird. And if it had fallen over dead, they blew a whistle and everyone got out of there immediately because there was a gas leak. The brain is the canary in the coal mine for the human species. And we have a tremendous jump in the incidence of dementia in Alzheimer's in young people, young middle-aged people. This is a wake-up call for all of us. So with that now, I will pause on my <laughs> elevator speech. <laughs> this, is, this is great. It's the least I've ever had to speak in a podcast, so I could just keep you going. I do have a question about plastics. Are any yes. plastics safe? Not that I know of. Not that I know of. Of course, we have these phthalate-free plastics, and they all talk. Oh well, the 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 phthalate-free, uh, the BPA-free, mm -hmm. is not phthalate-free. They're they're using BPS and BPM, which are more toxic. It's just going to take a decade before there's enough studies and the outcry from the general public before there's an outcry for BPS and BPM. But they're more toxic. The studies show they they activate a stronger immune response. So nothing that you, can, you know of that's plastic is technically safe for us to be breathing. It's unfortunate that uh, we've grown up in this world with these articles of convenience. You know, I'm looking at the plastic stand here that's holding up the light, because I thought this was a audio video, you know, and so the plastic stand is here. And I'm looking at the plastic on my MacBook Pro, and I'm looking at the plastic uh, case on my iPhone, that the, the Pong carrying case that blocks EMFs, and I'm looking at the plastic shade on the lamp here in the room, and I'm looking at the plastic frame of the air conditioner on the wall, and I'm looking at the plastic frame of the light on the ceiling, and I'm looking at the plastic blades of the fan, We've just grown up and the plastic frame of the, the smoke alarm on the ceiling and the plastic blinds on the windows, we've just grown up believing this stuff is natural and it's okay for us because, well, I don't feel sick when I'm, in, when I'm holding a plastic hanger, you know, but you, you get these phthalates on your hand every time you grab a plastic hanger 
uh, the phthalates are in the air from the blinds. I mean, you know, when, when you understand this, these minute amount of exposures are accumulative in the body. And I never thought I'd be talking apocalyptic stuff, but you know, when you read more and more studies on this, it just drops your jaw. And you, what? How did we let this happen? And now people, the younger generation, just take it as normal. It's part of earth, you know, part of nature to, to live with all of this, these compounds around us all the time. And why is it with your knowledge of this that you still have things like plastic blinds in your space? Why haven't you well, just that's really a good question. Well, eliminated it all? That's really a, question, a good question. We took the plastic blinds off these windows. We're renting a house here in Costa Rica. You know, so the plastic blinds are in the closet. Uh, and we bought sheets and we've got linen sheets. And there is no uh, flame retardant chemicals that we're aware of. Uh, but there are some pillows here on the sofas, and the sofa probably has Scotchgard. You know, there's some limits as to what you can do uh, in your environment if it's not your environment. But you do what you can. And the rule is base hits win the ball game. You know, base hits. It's all the little things you do that in the end accumulatively reduce your risk exposure. Now, I've recently been studying plastic use in food. Now, of course, most people are aware that there's some, some unsafe plastics that our foods are stored in, especially things that we buy in the grocery stores. Uh, what I was shocked to, to learn more about is how much plastic has been introduced via lobbying and via the, the chemical industry that has said, oh, not only are these safe, but they're recyclable. And when you dig deeper and you look into the recyclability of all these plastics that have the logo for recycle, they have a number indicating which bin they're supposed to be stored in. Most people in the industry say, no, those aren't recycled. We, we landfill all of it. And it was just a big push yeah. by the chemical industry to make people think that plastics are the safest alternative for the environment because they're all going to be recycled and they're all going to come back to life in a new form and there's no waste. When it seems that is actually not what's happening at all. That's really a valid point. You know, and then you hear of companies like Patagonia where they are using recycled plastics as part of the clothing you know, that they, they invest in the technology now for decades and they, they, they're putting their money where their mouth is, right? And they're doing it, but the vast majority of companies are not. And they're doing the lip service so that they look good on the surface. But as you've done your investigations, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. And I, I don't know the answer to this. I think the first step is awareness and that we're just not aware of the amount of toxicity that we're living in, expecting that we're gonna be vibrantly healthy if we are on a keto diet, you know, and we're just not aware of what we're doing and what we're being exposed to because they have so convincingly assured us that, oh, plastic water bottles, yeah, they're recyclable, just put them in the recycle bin. So we have done our part as a consumer and trust that it's happening. But, you know, as you've done the research and you're pointing out that, no, they're just throwing in the garbage. Yeah, it's shocking. 
sad. And uh, I, there has to be an right. alternative. So what, there has what to be a paradigm requires... shift. Right. There has to be a paradigm shift. And the paradigm shift occurs by doing one hour a week in your own life. And as you do that, just the little things you do, you know, here's an example. Uh, uh, I do a lot of traveling, not this year, but uh, in the past, I'm on the road a lot, speaking all over the world. And when I get back home and uh, I'd love to go shopping and buy good food. That's where I love to spend money more than anywhere else. So I'll go to our local uh, natural foods supermarket that that's so successful, Whole Foods had to shut down, which was, I was very happy about that, uh, for whole paycheck. Uh, but, um, you know, and I'll walk into the store, I get a cart and I go to the vegetable aisle and I tear off like 10, 15 plastic bags off the roll. And then I get my root vegetables and all the different vegetables I'm gonna get. And I go home, and I bring the bags in the house, um, put them on the counter by the refrigerator, open the refrigerator door, take the vegetable out, throw the plastic bag on the floor and put them in the refrigerator. Then I accumulate all the plastic bags and I put them in the recycle bin. I said, well, wait a minute. Why don't I reuse these bags? Well, that's a good idea. So I took all the bags and I put them in one bag and I put them by the door so next time I go out to the car, I'll just keep them in the car for the next time I go shopping. And then a few weeks later, you know, I come back in town again and I go shopping to stock up the refrigerator and I walk in, I get the cart and I walk over and I start tearing, I tear off a plastic bag and I grab for the sack. Oh no, they're in the car. Oh, I'll go, I'll, I'll use them next time. And I start to tear the second, no, no, go out and get them now. <laughs> so I just left the cart where it was and I walk out to the car, I get the bags, I walk back in, it took about two and a half, three minutes to do that, and I reuse the bags. It's that type of thinking that we have to train our minds to do. No, go out to the car and get them now, as opposed to using up another 15 plastic bags, right? And that's, that kind of training can only be successful as a paradigm shift by doing one hour a week. You know, just the little base hits every week. And eventually, you're living that lifestyle, reducing your exposure and your consumption of these toxic substances. That's the only way I know to do it. That's great. Yeah, great advice. Now, I'm going to push back a bit, though. Why are you grabbing those plastic bags to begin with? That's a really good question. Uh, because of the um, programming I had as a kid, probably, do you need to use that many plastic bags? And the answer is, well, now, now where we live, we live in Costa Rica now, and in my car, I've got maybe 10 um, uh, cloth shopping bags. They're all folded up inside each other. And uh, they're always in the car and we go to farmer's market and we just get five carrots, put them in the cloth bags. And so we don't use plastic bags anymore unless we need to. If there's some reason to, we will, but our consumption has dropped dramatically. But how do you do that? Well, one day you realize, oh, I just, well, I'll get some cloth bags. You know, like the ones that say um, Lazy Acres, or which is the 
natural supermarket where I used to live in Encinitas or they'll say Patagonia or whatever bags that you can reuse. But we use cloth ones now and we rarely use plastic anymore. So with the recycled plastic products that you mentioned, Patagonia, their shopping bags, there's all sorts of things that are they claim are from recycled plastics. Are the chemicals in those, do they, are they still there and are they still causing damage to people? So by wearing a Patagonia recycled plastic layer, are we actually just exposing ourselves to all the terrible things that were in that plastic in the first place? That's a really good question that I have no clue about. Um, and I live with a bit of trust on that, but that's some, somebody will spend an hour one week and they'll go on the Patagonia website and they'll read about it and they'll be able to tell you. I'm sure that's been addressed. Okay. And what about for you when you're buying your foods? Are you concerned about the, the packaging that they're coming in? If you're buying a high-end uh, supplement powder or a protein powder and it's in plastic, is that a concern for you? Absolutely. You know, but you can't be a perfectionist in this world. Maybe you can, uh, and be um, obsessive. Uh, well, no, I think it's healthy to be obsessive on this topic, but you can't be obsessive compulsive on this topic. You have to understand base hits win the ball game. I'm doing the best I can in my world that I'm living in, and I'm not going to be perfect. You know, so. Uh, some people may be able to create a lifestyle of perfection in terms of eliminating exposures. That's certainly possible. But my message to people is base hits win the ball game. Every little thing you do accumulatively will take you in the right direction to reducing your inflammatory cascade. And we know that the, the mechanism of practically every degenerative disease is one of inflammation. So let's calm down your immune system. That's only trying to protect you. The immune system hasn't gone haywire. This is a nice analogy for people. Mrs. Patient, your immune system is the armed forces in your body. It's there to protect you. There's an army, a navy, an air force, a marines, a coast guard. We call them IGA, IgG, IgE, IgM. They're all there to protect you. So when they're elevated, what are they trying to protect you from is the question. So you need to reduce the amount of exposure if your immune system, you have to first make sure it's competent and adequate to be measured. And if you have a competent immune system and you're inflamed, you have to reduce those triggers to the point where you have tolerance. And when you have tolerance, your immune system is no longer activated. Okay, I want to come back to that in a few minutes. I've written that down. I have a few more questions before we move on to that because I feel like that could be a, a big area where we spend a lot of time. With Oh my goodness, yes. The, the, idea, <laughs> the idea of loss of oral tolerance is it's the game changer when you understand that. So great. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. I've got a question for you about in the world that we're living in right now with this so-called pandemic, most people are wearing masks. Now, I've spoken with various guests about masks for, for different reasons, but my question to you is, the materials that these are made from, is that safe to be sticking 
two inches away from your mouth and your nose or actually half an inch and breathing that in. We Do we know, well, we couldn't possibly know what the materials are in all these masks as many people are just making their own, but so many of them are coming from China and various places where there's there seems to be no restrictions on what these masks are made of. So is there a concern? That's an extremely relevant question. And it, you, you have to define the word safe. Are we doing harm to ourselves from the toxic standpoint only by wearing masks virtually all the time? So by wearing masks, are we increasing our toxic load? Yes, let's say that. Likely, yes. Yes, likely, yes, depending on the type of mask. Very likely, yes. Is increasing our toxic load a threat? Yes. Is wearing masks and increasing the toxic load going to take me over the edge of tolerance so that that level of chemicals now activates an inflammatory response in my body that's going to manifest wherever my genetic vulnerability is. I don't know. It depends on your threshold. Have you crossed your threshold of tolerance? And if you cross your threshold of tolerance for these toxic chemical exposures and you activate an immune response, could that put you on the path of the autoimmune spectrum, developing autoimmune diseases? Absolutely, yes. Without a question, many studies show that. What percentage of people who wear masks will cross the line of tolerance and activate an immune response? I have no idea. Of course, yeah. And with the plastics, you spoke earlier of vaccines aren't causing autism. They're potentially pushing people over the edge. I believe you insinuated that plastics are more the culprit. Is that safe to say? No, my gosh, heavy metals, uh, toxic chemicals, uh, benzene. Every time you smell gas, when you fill your gas tank of your car, you're killing off thousands of brain cells in that moment. Every time you smell benzene, well, I don't feel sick when I smell oh, it's because you've got you know, a few billion brain cells and you only killed off 5,000. You don't feel that, right? But no, there are so many toxic substances. Plastics are just an easy one to use okay. as an example because there are so, so many studies on that. And uh, plastics are so prevalent in our world today. Just look in the room you're in and how many things are made with plastic and then understand that they all outgas. They all outgas into the air. And then you start to get a sense of this, of how we all are being exposed on a daily basis. And in the, stick with the, the developed world where plastics are certainly everywhere as you just spoke of, and these other triggers, these other toxins, why are we not seeing even more autism? Well, I think we are. I think it's going up exponentially. Uh, 
But what's protecting what's protecting some of us from it? You know, clearly, it's not the majority of people, but why not? And are we heading in that direction? The whole concept of tolerance. The brain is the canary in the coal mine, and whether it manifests as uh, autism or um, dementia or Crutzfield Jacob or Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, uh, it doesn't matter how it manifests. The mechanisms are extremely similar in all of these degenerative um, uh, uh, brain diseases. It, uh, it, so you're saying, how come we're all not autistic right now? Uh, I don't know. I can't answer that. It's, it's, but, but we're seeing, we're, 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 we're seeing the numbers going up dramatically yes. for everyone in terms of cognitive dysfunction and dementia. Uh, this is a wake-up call. The brain's the canary in the coal mine, you know, that we are, we are, you know, there, there are so many different topics that people can hear about with grave warning. Um, it's, it's the, uh, how do I say this? We're on the cusp of something. We're certainly on the cusp of something. And uh, uh, what, what happens to our civilization in this next few decades is really unknown to anyone at this point. But it's not going forward in the same type of productive, resilient, uh, uh, mechanisms that we saw, we saw in the fifties and the sixties, as the chemicals started coming in more, we, we just see that the, our, our metabolisms are changing dramatically and now exponentially faster than ever before. And we're unprepared. We don't understand this dynamic. And that's why, uh, uh, I'm talking about this today is that I'm hoping just to stimulate a few cerebral cells so that your listeners will just want to look into this a little deeper and learn a little more and not throw the baby out with the bathwater because it's so overwhelming, but just be patient and kind with yourself and learn a little more every week. Spend one hour a week on this yeah. topic. And Dr. Tom, what is your level of expertise when it comes to the toxins that we're being now bathed in when it comes to radiation from cell phones, computers, 5G, Wi-Fi, on and on and on the list goes. In my uh, most recent book, You Can Fix Your Brain, I talk about um, uh, that the paradigm that people need to look at with any health condition that they're dealing with is that the, when, when I moved from Chicago to San Diego, um, I drove across country. It was a fun drive. I needed a map. You know, you, you don't just get in the car and head west. I mean, you, you can, but you know, you're not likely to land in San Diego. You, you need a map. And when you go from a diagnosis of diabetes or a child with attention deficit 
or cognitive decline or rheumatoid or psoriasis or acne in a teenager, whatever the condition is that's coming into your practice, your patients need a map of how to get from Chicago to San Diego. And I talk about it a lot in the book that people need to look, in my opinion, people need to look at redirecting their health direction by looking at a pyramid. I call it the pyramid of health. We think of pyramids as three-sided, but they're not. They're four-sided. There's a base and then the three sides that go up. So the base is structure. That's the home of chiropractic and massage and orthopedics and pillows and exercise. Um, that's your base. And a out of balance base can cause just about any health problem. We've seen so many dramatic results over the decades with just straight chiropractic care or with just exercising, putting diseases in remission just by exercising. That's your base, which has effects on other areas. Then one side of the triangle is your biochemistry. And that's where most people focus the majority of their time. And that's what we eat, drink, the drugs we take, the nutrition we, we take, uh, the air we breathe. The next side of the triangle is the spiritual or emotional. And we've all heard of stress hormones and how they can cause practically any disease. And then the last side of the triangle, the fourth component is electromagnetic pollution. And we have to look at any health concern from all four sides of the triangle. And most people are focused and they've allocated most of their attention to one side of the triangle. And they sometimes will have a colleague that they refer to if they think there's a psychosocial thing going on, or if they think there's a mechanical thing going on, or um, if they, I don't know many people that refer out for EMF uh, pollution, but to an expert. But we have to look at all four sides on any health condition because rarely is one side the exclusive culprit of the imbalance that a person's presenting with. You have to look at it all. And EMFs just came on the scene in the last 20 years, really, full time. Uh, indisputable, hundreds and hundreds of studies on it now. Uh, but I, the first study I read was 1978, and children that live within a quarter mile of high power uh, tension wires, high tension power wires, um, within a quarter mile, they had a 30-some percent increase likelihood of developing leukemia. And this was 1978, you know, and the, and the study after study, now, there's no evidence that the amount of radiation that leaks out of a cell phone is toxic to a child's brain. That's how they get away with this. But a child's skull is so much thinner than an adult's skull, and the amount of radiation emitted by these phones penetrates deeper into the brain of a child than an adult. I mean, we all, on my cell phone, you know, I've got a Pong case, P-O-N-G. And uh, I don't know if it's the best one or not, but it certainly blocks some EMFs. I know that because my car is the type of car, as I walk towards the car with my key, 
the lights come on on the outside to shine down by the door handle and the light on the door handle comes on. And so it's the key sending a message to the car, here he comes, turn the lights on here so he can see at night, right? But if I'm holding my keys in the same hand as my phone, there's no message that goes to the car. So I know this Pong case is working to some degree. It's a base hit. It's helping a little bit. And anyone that has a cell phone should have a protective case on the cell phone and also be using a corded headset or the speaker. Do not use Bluetooth because uh, now you're putting the battery in your ear. And when, when you're using Bluetooth, oh, but it's so convenient to use Bluetooth. Yes, we'll put that on your tombstone. You live for convenience. You know, I mean, you know, at some point we have to realize that there's these things that have substantial evidence that are disruptive to our well-being. And I will add a little bit to that with, I'm, I tend to be extremely sensitive to EMF. I don't carry a cell phone with me. It's, I have one, but it's never with me. And I am very reluctant to use it for anything. But about, um, earlier this year, I started listening to more and more podcasts while I was out on the farm working. In the first week of doing that, I started to get really strange feelings in my head. And I couldn't really define them other than I was feeling kind of like my brain cells had all been fried, just kind of sponge head. Uh, and I, I couldn't figure it out. And I had, I had a wired, wired headphone, so I didn't think that was the issue. But then I started to look into it more, and I realized that even those wired headphones will deliver radiation to your head. And so I ended up getting a pair that is, uh, it is wired, but it's the last six inches is connected by a hollow tube. And so basically the sound gets transmitted through the hollow right, tube into right, your right. ear. And that was a game changer for me because I was, I was done. I couldn't wear those headphones anymore and ended up finding these headphones that I now can wear. But it was a, a yeah. real wake up call for me because I thought I was doing the right things by not using the Bluetooth one. And well, you know, you, you, you were doing the right thing. You were. But there's different degrees of attention. You know, on, there's different degrees of attention on the food that you choose to eat. I mean, we go out to restaurants sometimes, and almost never are they serving organic produce. And so we're making a judgment call there. Do we want the joy of going out to a restaurant together and having a nice evening? And are we willing to pay the price of conventional produce uh, for that? Well, lots of fruits and vegetables, but they're conventional fruits and vegetables. And so you can't live in a bubble. You, you can, but I don't know that we have to live in a bubble. We just have to be aware of our levels of tolerance. How much can our, resi our resilient body stay resilient to? And when do we lose that resilience? and then we lose our tolerance. Hans Selye brought this out back in the 50s. Uh, uh, this is a guy that coined the word stress and associated it with health. And he showed that when young men, healthy young men, unfortunately die of trauma, their adrenal glands are the size of a walnut. Same age young men that die of disease, their adrenal glands are the size of a peanut they've shriveled up. 
So the, the organs that are designed to handle the stress of life, that was Selye's book, it's still a classic, The Stress of Life, it's well worth reading. Uh, so they had, done, they had been exposed to so much stress, their stress organ system no longer would be able to comply. And we call that whipping the dying horse. You know, the, you're, you're being chased by robbers and you're on a stagecoach and yeah, yeah. You know, the cowboys, are, these horses are sweating and running at full speed and the robbers are behind you with their little six shooters shooting at you and you're just whipping that horse. And that's what we do to our bodies the way we live our lives today. And Selye showed and he, he would just control the stress of the animals. You know, he put animals in water just over their heads so they had to swim until they were exhausted. And when they would almost start to drown, he'd take them out and let them rest and give them good food and all. And the next day, he'd do the same thing, stress them again and stress them again. And while he, he would just control the stressor that he gave them after they were resting. So if he gave them higher doses of sugar, those that were in the water tanks and being fatigued every day, compared to other animals given the same amount of sugar, the ones who were fatigued every day, they developed diabetes. But the ones who were getting that same amount of sugar but not being stressed out every day did not develop diabetes. And then he did the same thing with arteriosclerosis and fats. The ones that were stressed developed coronary artery disease. The ones that were not stressed, that got the same amount of fat, did not develop coronary artery disease. So he showed how we go from parasympathetic dominance, which is where we're supposed to be living our lives, to sympathetic dominance, fight, flight, or fright, to sympathetic fatigue, to sympathetic exhaustion, to sympathetic depletion. And you never get a degenerative disease, according to Selye, unless you're in sympathetic depletion. So it's our lifestyle that led us down that path where we're depleted, we can't handle the stress of life anymore, and then you get whatever disease your environmental exposures and your genetics set you up for. In functional medicine, we say it's your genes and your antecedents, how you've lived your life that determines what disease you get, right? So the goal here, the goal here is just to reverse that slowly, but consistently, one hour a week, changing little things in your lifestyle to reduce the amount of stress and begin to rebuild. And you, as a result, rebuild your adrenal glands. How do you rebuild an adrenal gland? One cell at a time. But six months from now, a year from now, you go to church and you haven't seen somebody in a while and say, oh my God, you look so much younger. Wow, you look great, what happened to you? What are you doing? He says, well, I was in a state of sympathetic depletion and I went from sympathetic depletion to sympathetic exhaustion and then sympathetic fatigue. And now I actually have some moments of parasympathetic dominance. <laughs> and they just look at you like you're in that case, right? But that's what you went through. That's what you went through, whether you understand it or not. My opinion, that is a primary mechanism in getting your health back, is understanding that you, you, you need a map and you're going on a journey. You're going from Chicago to San Diego. You're going from rheumatoid to non-rheumatoid. You need a map. 
And so you have to understand, and the only way to be successful and not be overwhelmed is one hour a week with just one little thing at a time. Because it's overwhelming when people that get sinus infections and asthma and bronchitis, breathing difficulties, you have to change out your shower head because the shower heads are most often loaded with biofilm of toxic bacteria. And you get in the shower, you turn the shower on, you get blasted with millions of bacteria of Klebsiella or Pseudomonas every time you take a shower. So that's the first thing that we recommend for people to have any ear, sinus, lung, congestion, imbalance, dysfunction. Change out your shower head and clean your shower head every six months after that. You know, so there's all these little things that you just have to learn. And it takes a year or two years to learn all this stuff. So if we can educate our patients of this big picture to understand they need a map and Mrs. Patient, we have to teach you how to read your map. And if they understand that, then you've got them, then they're with you. And they'll apply each little principle little bit at a time, little bit like you did. You used wired headsets on your phone. You were listening to podcasts, but because you, you knew it was a safer thing to do, but then you realized, wait a minute, this isn't working. And you had to dive deeper. And so you did research and you found out using the tubes uh, in, the, in the headset, or there's beads that you can put on the headset that will minimize the radiation going up also. But you just had to go into it a little bit deeper. Now you're safer in what you're doing. Everybody needs that kind of education about every aspect of where they're getting inflammatory treatment. Well, it sounds like your book, You Can Fix Your Brain, is a great resource. I'm going to put it in the show notes for everyone. As I said earlier, though, I do want to talk about your other area of expertise in your other book, The Autoimmune Fix and Autoimmunity. And I know we don't have too much time left. So take us through autoimmunity for a bit, if you don't mind. I would ask you a specific question, but you don't seem to need that sort of cue. So just take us through. My, my, my first book, The Autoimmune Fix, came out in 2016. It won a National Book Award. How many health books do you know that win National Book Awards? You know, I'm, and then I'm, it's not bragging. It's just a, it's a really good book. When you read it, it just makes sense. This is where autoimmunity comes from. And the message... In the second book, it's the same message with more current science. And I just took one system of the body, the brain, as opposed, but I could have e easily said, you can fix your heart, or you can fix your liver, or you can fix your joints. And it would have been the same concepts about the pyramid. You need a map. You got to read where you're going. Autoimmunity is not a mistake almost all the time. It is not a mistake. It's your immune system trying to protect you. Well, what's it trying to protect you from? Well, just Google BPA and thyroid and read a couple of the studies how BPA binds to your thyroid. And you, and you get BPA exposure every day. We've all got BPA, but it binds to your thyroid. And when it binds to your thyroid, you make antibodies against this neoantigen, against this new molecule thyroid BPA. It's a new molecule. You mean, what's that? That's not part of me. I better fight that. And you make antibodies against that neoepitope, which damages the thyroid component of 
the cell of that neoepitope. Now you make more thyroid antibodies to get rid of the damaged thyroid cell. And this continues every day because you're exposed to phthalates all the time. And if your genetic vulnerability is that it binds to thyroid, and then you make antibodies against the new neoepitope of BPA thyroid cell, and then you make antibodies to the thyroid to get rid of the damaged thyroid cells of that neoepitope, and this becomes self-perpetuating, and then here comes Hashimoto's. Or you, you can use the same example with lupus or with rheumatoid. Just Google Klebsiella and rheumatoid. Here come the studies of molecular mimicry, your immune system fighting Klebsiella, but because of the amino acid structure of Klebsiella that the antibodies are looking for, I say it's an orange vest, that the antibodies get programmed to go after the orange vest in the bloodstream. That's Klebsiella. But that amino acid structure of the orange vest is very, very similar to the collagen of your joints. So the antibodies of Klebsiella start attacking your joints. Here comes rheumatoid. If that's your genetic vulnerability, or it can attack your brain, it attacks your gluten. 26% of everyone that has elevated antibodies to peptides of wheat also have elevated antibodies to their cerebellum. It's molecular mimicry. 22% of those with antibodies to wheat have elevated antibodies to myelin basic protein. That's MS. So autoimmunity is your immune system trying to protect you from something. And because of molecular mimicry or cross reactivity, it goes after your own tissue and becomes self-perpetuating. That's the, that's the uh, 30 second elevator speech on autoimmunity. That's all in the book, The Autoimmune Fix. And it's, it's incredible that you were able to sum that up so succinctly because we're taught again and again by our medical system that, oh, it's an autoimmune condition, so let's just take drugs to decrease your immune response. And basically, as, as you're saying, the autoimmunity, it's not a disease in and of itself as we're being told it is. We're being told that, oh, it's an autoimmune condition. There's something wrong with you and your immune system. When, in fact, it's just our immune system waging a battle that, at this point, the experts don't know what that battle is about. And as you've just said, through this biomimicry, it ends up having some casualties that are our actual body, our actual system. That's exactly right. And so profound what you just said. And thank you for sharing that. Profound. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. You bet. And um, I would... I would invite all of our listeners, because I assume mostly they're associated with the college, and so they're acupuncturists or people studying acupuncture and um, other health disciplines. Get the book, get the autoimmune fix and read it. It's gonna open your consciousness about autoimmune. This is why it won a national book award, is because it just, what? And then here's over 350 studies for every concept in the book. It's not my ideas. I didn't do any of this. I'm not a researcher. I just read the studies and I said, what? Well, wait a minute. That, and I remember I read that study over there. Really? And then I read this one. You know, when I heard um, Professor Marios Hajivasalu is one of the premier neurologists in the world on wheat-related disorders. He published a paper uh, a couple decades ago 
took 10 people with unrelenting migraines who were in the workman's compensation system, meaning they couldn't work. And the average was eight years they had been out of work. And for some reason, as he talked about that study, it really caught me. And I found myself thinking the families of these 10 people, shh, shh, dad's got a headache, shh, shh, quiet. And they've used up their savings because dad can't work. And they're living off whatever the government workman's compensation gives them. What's it like for those children in those families? So I read that article. Every single one of them had elevated antibodies to wheat. When he put them on a gluten-free diet, seven out of 10 never had a headache again. Two out of 10 got partial relief. The 10th one refused the diet. Eight years of total immobilization, gone within a month on a gluten-free diet. When you read that, and then, you know, tertiary research centers, a general practitioner gets a patient in with neurological problems. They don't know what it is. They can't figure it out. So they send them to a neurologist. The neurologist makes a recommendation. It doesn't work. The patient comes back a few months later uh, complaining because they're still suffering. They give them something else stronger. It doesn't work. Patient comes back again a few months later. The neurologist refers them to a tertiary research center. So this is a tertiary neurology research center. And they published the paper that said, when the cause of a neurological disease is known, 5% of the people have elevated antibodies to wheat. When the cause of a neurological disease is unknown at a tertiary research center, 57% have elevated antibodies to wheat. The brain is the canary in the coal mine that the number one system of the body that's affected by a wheat-related disorder is your brain, not your gut. The ratio is eight to one, that for every one person that gets gut symptoms, there are eight that don't. They get brain or joint or liver or kidney or skin symptoms. They don't get gut symptoms. So for all of you that think, well, I don't feel bad when I eat wheat, it doesn't matter how you feel. You'll only identify one out of eight if you use that as your criteria. That's incredible. So, you know, when, when you learn these kinds of things, um, you just need the bigger picture. You, you need a map. And that's what my two books are, and that's what most of my messages are. You know, as I said at the beginning of this, we're, we're not gonna talk about a better form of vitamin D or why should I take CoQ10. You know, there's lots of good studies in that, but my emphasis is helping people get a bigger picture when they're, because my mentors drilled it into us. Dr. Goodhart drilled it into us to always ask why. Look with eyes that see. Listen with ears that hear. So we take the blinders off and just always look for the bigger picture. And in my world, I think the system of the body that is the greatest tool to use, the greatest biomarker, the dashboard of how the body is running is your immune system, your armed forces. What's it trying to protect you from? And when you learn about that, 
and you start examining immune function and you start asking why is that immune function happening, you start to find answers that really benefit the patient. Yeah. I've always said that I, I think the vast majority of people have completely forgotten what real vitality feels like. And so we've become accustomed to living in states of subpar health with joint problems or gut inflammation or foggy thinking. And as you said, most people don't attribute that to the chemicals they're exposed to, that the foods that they're eating, they just think that's part of life. And it doesn't help that our medical system says, oh, that's just autoimmunity. You're just going to have to deal with it and take this pill. So I really hope our listeners are are listening very closely to what you're saying. And I don't know that if we have your books in our bookstore, but I'm going to make sure that we do get those books in our bookstore so that our, our local students can come by and, and take a look at your materials. Fascinating things. Dr. Tom, I know you're on a, up against a, a time schedule here, so we're going to have to wrap it up. Before we do that, do you want to let the listeners know where they can learn more about you and the work that you're doing? Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, our website is thedr.com, thedoctor.com. Don't spell the word doctor out, thedr.com. And I have a certified gluten-free practitioner program uh, for healthcare practitioners. You want to dial this down? This is 10, 12 hours online at your own speed. You've got three months to do it. Um, and you have to pass quizzes um, in each section before the next section opens up for you. But all of this is laid out in detail with all of my analogies, all of the visuals, use them all. Um, so that's available to healthcare practitioners. We have a brain masterclass that's 87 videos of me talking like this, 87 different topics that relate to brain function. And I call it B4, capital B, the number four, for a breach of the blood brain barrier, uh, any brain dysfunction you have, any, by definition, if it's an inflammatory dysfunction, you always have a breach of the blood-brain barrier. You always have B4. And if you get leaky gut and you test positive for leaky gut, those same structures are in the blood-brain barrier, which means you likely also have leaky brain. So a bigger picture view about the brain. That's all in the second book, You Can Fix Your Brain. So the website's the dr.com. There's lots of handouts, lots of downloads there, lots of videos for you to um, uh, uh, expand and pick up some more ideas. It's a great resource. I'll make sure to put it in the show notes. You've also passed along a free gift to our listeners, which I will put into the outro of this and also in the show notes. So thank you for doing that. And thank you again for taking the time to connect with me today. It's been very enlightening for me. Uh, incredible material that you're sharing. Keep on, keep up the good work and thank you. Thank you, Todd. Really a pleasure to be with you and Godspeed to all of you out there on your health journeys. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Dr. Tom O'Brien. For listeners of this podcast, Dr. Tom's team has created a special gift of three guides to help you detox your home. Each reference guide focuses on a different room in your home and includes some surprise gifts. Go to thedoctor.com slash demystifyingdetox to claim yours. That is thedr.com slash demystifyingdetox. Thedoctor.com is also a great resource to learn more about Dr. Tom, his services, and to find his books. 
If you are interested in studying holistic nutrition, Pacific Rim College offers a four-month online certificate program and a world-renowned three-year diploma program. Visit PacificRimCollege.com to learn more. Also, don't forget to check out our other online education on holistic nutrition by exploring the amazing courses offered at PacificRimCollege.online, including Sally Fallon's Achieving Optimal Health Through Nourishing Traditional Diets and Rosemary Pierce's recently launched course. If you are interested in receiving clinical services in holistic nutrition, herbal medicine, and acupuncture and Chinese medicine, the student clinic at PRC provides more than 7,000 annual treatments. Live holistic nutrition and herbal medicine consultations are both available online, while acupuncture and Chinese medicine treatments can be had at our Victoria campus. Free treatment options are available in all areas. Visit the student clinic at PacificRimCollege.com for more information and to book your appointment. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends and family and give it a five-star rating on whatever podcast app you are using. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, take Dr. Tom's recommended one hour a week to optimize your brain health.